the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. It's Friday, the end of the week. We made it through another week. Thank you for your calls and for your great questions. But we love more of them today. Questions about what we believe as Christians and why. Questions about the Bible. Questions about something you're going on or that's going on in your life. Whatever it is, we would appreciate uh, your calls at 340-9585 for your live calls. That's 340-9585. You can also call us toll free at 877-630-5757, 630-KSLR. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can also send them in via our free Calvary Chapel mobile app if you're driving in your car. The safest way to call is use the hands-free feature on the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now button at the top of your screen, and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Uh, I just realized that next week was Thanksgiving. They're asking about holiday programs and things like that. Where is this year going? My goodness. Uh, Thank you for your prayers, Paula, and the ladies made it safe to uh, Reynosa. If you wouldn't mind uh, tonight and tomorrow keeping them in your prayers as they have a uh, really a day and a half long uh, women's retreat uh, for the ladies in Reynosa, Mexico. Uh, also, we have our church uh, tonight. I'm going to be teaching. We've got a tiny crowd tonight because so many of our people are gone on the Reynosa trip and uh, other stuff going on. So uh, tonight, Acts chapter 6, we're going to be finishing the chapter. Um, Stephen and the great power God is demonstrating through him. So that's tonight, and we actually open up in Romans chapter 11 on Mon- on Sunday. Wherever it is that you go to church, make this a weekend where you offer your body to the Lord to be used for his glory. Um, look for the lost and look for the hurting. Look for the people that look like they're in pain. And let God bless you and use you to be a blessing to others. Okay, it's uh, time for our questions. We've got some questions that have been sent in. I'll go to the first one. Uh, This one is anonymous. Um, Pastor Ron, good day to you, and God bless you and Paula. Uh, As you know, I'm in the middle of a possible separation due to my wife's hard heart and not wanting uh, to obey God's word in working our issues out together with him. I pray every night that he can soften her heart, as I know his desire is for us to stay married. I also pray that if it's God's will for us to not stay together, uh, as he may uh, let her may let have let her have her hard heart as she wishes uh, that he gives me the strength to endure that test. The biggest hurt and regret for me is that I didn't know uh, God, I didn't know Jesus, which caused a lot of our current issues, uh, but now that I've given my life to Jesus Christ, it seems to be too late. My question is, is it wrong for me to pray to him and ask for another wife, even though this one hasn't actually ended yet? Uh, I just have this desire to prove myself to God and to God that I can be the husband I always should have been, to love my wife just like Jesus loves me and his church. I never really understood that until it was too late. My wish would be to find a woman who loves Jesus like I do and raise a new child with her as well. Kind of start all over, but do it the right way. 
um, from the beginning, if you will. Uh, he says, P.S. I'm not currently looking for anyone, not flirting at work or being inappropriate with any other woman at all. Uh, this body is no longer mine to do with as I please, and I made a promise not to defile myself and will patiently wait to get married uh, again. Uh, let me tell you, uh, it's God's will, if at all possible, um, at, at least as far as it depends on you, that you stay married. First Peter chapter 3 is, from this point forward, your anthem. Um, win the unbelieving spouse over. Now, in First Peter 3, he's talking specifically to women married to unbelieving men, but the same principle works the other way around. So, no, you don't want to start thinking about marriage. You don't want to start praying for another wife. What you want to do is pray for the salvation of the wife that you have. And your job, it doesn't matter how hard her heart is, your job is to show her the work that the Holy Spirit is doing in you the joy, the peace, um, even even when she tries to steal your joy, um, just let her know that your joy is real. Uh, I'm sure I've shared this on this program before, but that was the reason that, that I came to believe in Jesus Christ. Uh, as miserable as I was to Paula, as she prayed for me for those 13 years, uh, I couldn't steal her joy. And I, I just, I couldn't understand it. If I was making her miserable, why didn't she look miserable or sound miserable? And I finally made the connection after a whole bunch of years that, that it was connected to Jesus. So her Jesus was real. So win your wife over. Don't give one thought. You don't have to prove anything to God. Remember, the day you gave your heart to Jesus, you're perfect in God's eyes. And I think a lot of times we who are Christians try to spend a lot of unnecessary energy and effort on trying to make God proud of us. He loves you. You're perfect. So don't hope to prove yourself to God. If God brings another woman into your life eventually, uh, then you'll get the opportunity to do it all over again. But um, the enemy will use the line of thinking, that this, this sort of trap you're falling into, uh, to, to make you more and more dissatisfied uh, with the wife that you have. Imagine what a beautifully polished up trophy she will be when she realizes that your Jesus really is Jesus. That your Jesus is God. So what you want to do is pray for her. Let the light of Christ shine through. Don't let her uh, responses, her moods, don't let her sadness uh, don't let any of that affect yours. And that means you're going to have to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit every single day. Literally all day, every day. You're going to be tested. You're going to be tried. But those are the times that you prove how strong our Jesus really is. So I, I hope that helps. But please um, don't think for a moment you've got to prove to God that you could be a good husband or you could be a good father. Just be the good husband to the wife you have. Be the good father to the kids that you have. We'll be praying for you. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from our email inbox from Nacho. My question is about Psalm 39. Is it about David's repentance and his looking forward to living the remainder of his life following God rather than lamenting and asking for more time because he would soon perish? The latter part of the psalm sounds like David did not know about his eternal reward uh, or of living forever with God. A couple of things not true about this. Psalm 39 uh, certainly is a psalm of David, but uh, there's no way to identify what David was going uh, through at this time in his life when this psalm was written. You know, we can look at, at a lot of the psalms that he wrote, and we can go to First and Second Samuel, and we can identify the exact times when he wrote those psalms so we get a really deep look into his heart. We've been doing that on our Wednesday night studies here uh, in First Samuel. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 28 this coming week. By the way, I know I told you all last uh, on Wednesday... Uh, the study that, that I did Wednesday in First Samuel 27, if you're going through some difficult things, if you're one who's led too easily by your emotions or by your feelings, uh, please go to calvaryessay.com. We don't get anything for it. It's absolutely free to you. 
Uh, but listen to the Bible study that I did this past Wednesday night in First Samuel 20, 27. Now back to Psalm 39. Because we don't know when it was written. We don't really know what it's about. But it really is David. Um, my own opinion is that he wrote it toward the end of his life. And he's looking back at all of the things, the challenges that God's brought him through. And it's a process of looking at circumstances, overcoming circumstances, and looking to the answer. The answer, of course, is to get right and stay right with God. So uh, it's not so much him asking for more time, because I, I think at this point he's pretty advanced in years and knew that his time uh, on earth was coming to an end. Uh, it's just a great psalm, instructive for all of us. Hope that helps. Let's go to... Um, Oh, hi, Tanya from San Antonio on line two. Thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Okay, hi. So I have a question. Um, something happened the other day that I've never experienced um, when it came to prayer. Um, I have a friend that is um, new to the Lord, um, you know, recently, I would say less than a year, uh, walking with the Lord, and, and she really does love her animals. And um, we haven't really gotten to the discussion of that animals don't go to heaven kind of thing. But she says something when she prays, and I don't know how to correct uh, out of love. I, I don't say anything, but I know I need to say something. When we're praying, she'll thank the Lord for her prayer dog. Um, because she said, watch, watch, when we start praying, here comes the dog. And I honestly, <laughs> I, I never would have thought that would ever happen in my lifetime that I'd be calling and asking you this question. But what is the best way in love to address that? <laughs> it's, it's a hard one, Tanya. You know, uh, uh, Paul and I had a dog for 15 years, uh, a Rhodesian Ridgeback Boxer mix. He was a 125-pound muscle-bound dog. And, and I used to call him the evangelist dog. And the reason I called him that is because every time we'd be out walking or Paul would be out walking and, and there'd be somebody on the streets, uh, she would start sharing Jesus or I'd start sharing Jesus. And our dog Moto was his name. He'd just come up, sit right down next to Paula or sit right down next to me and just patiently wait because he knew that's what, that's what we were going to be doing. So uh, I'm not exactly sure what she means by a prayer dog, but I do understand the... Uh, the the overwhelming attachment that we have sometimes to our animals, especially if you're a dog person. Uh, we get so attached to our dogs, it's just silly. Now, here's what I would tell her. I would tell her that God loves you so much that he gave you that dog for you to enjoy. So enjoy your dog. This is God's present to you. Um, but... Uh, and eventually you're going to get to the will dogs be in heaven question. Um, just say, if you think that Jesus won't be enough in heaven, if you don't think heaven will be glorious without your dog there, then you really need to do some studying. You really need to do some repenting in your time with the Lord. Uh, I know we don't like to think about our animals dying, um, but, but they're gifts from God. They're not made in the image of God. Only humans are. And, and so we basically just say, you know, God loved you so much, he gave you this beautiful animal, and he wants you to take care of him or her, he wants you to enjoy your dog, um, but, but mostly it's just God's present to you. So enjoy him or enjoy her while you can, and, and then when you get to heaven, um, I promise you, you won't have any problems, um, you won't even remember that you had a dog other than it will be have been God's gift to you. Tanya, I, I, I'd have to know more about what is a prayer dog, so. Okay, no, no, it, and, and it's just, Pastor Ron, it's just, you know, it's almost, I don't want to say it's mocking, because, you know, I, it's almost, you know, I, I just, uh, you know, I want to thank you, Lord, and I thank you for my prayer dog, and almost kind of, yeah. I, I don't want to say mystical, but it kind of seems in that type of realm, if that makes yeah, sense. I, like, it's kind of it, like the Virgin well, does, Mary and the saints. Yeah, well, I, you know what? Rather than assume uh, that there's something mock or mocking about it, I would ask her, say, can I ask you a question? When you say that and you thank God for your prayer dog, what do you mean? And that way, her explanation would give you an opportunity to explore it and, and get, uh, get kind of to the heart of the matter. And then you'd know what to talk about. 
And you, you t- okay. Tanya, I've known you a long time now. You, you're gifted. I, you, my screen says you're from San Antonio, and I know you're not in San Antonio. You're in San Leandro, San California. Leandro. Yeah, but um, uh, that's why I went for for a minute. I didn't think it was you, but um, 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 you, you're so gifted talking to people. Just make sure, rather than wondering what it's about, ask the questions, and and the Lord will open doors for wonderful conversations that way, especially with your heart. Thank you, Pastor Ron. Love you guys. Take care. Thank you, Tanya. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. We had a caller named Hannah called into the studio with a question on forgiveness. When someone brings up a circumstance from the past, I get upset. Am I reliving the moment, or do I have to work on forgiving them still? Um, Hannah, um, the reason you get upset, uh, it's not that you haven't forgiven them. Um, you get upset because there's an enemy who's bringing those ugly memories and those ugly thoughts back to your heart. So, uh, you know, unforgiveness is one of those things that the enemy's always trying uh, to, to stir in our hearts. Um, we're told in the Bible that if, if we don't forgive others, then God won't forgive us. Uh, Jesus even told us in his model for prayer that the way that we're supposed to pray is, is forgive us our trespasses, our sins, as we forgive others. In other words, we're asking God to forgive us the way we forgive others, and, and the devil always wants us to, to feel like our forgiveness is inadequate or incomplete. Um when it is, he gets the opportunity to sort of fan the flames and, and get us in our flesh all over again. And remember, that's always his agenda. So I don't think you're reliving the moment. I think in those moments when you start to get frustrated or angry all over again, that's when you've got to remember that you and the Lord have already dealt with this. You have to remember that I've already forgiven Jesus. You forgave me of way more than than, than I needed to forgive that person of. So, Lord... And, and and for me, Hannah, the trigger that really helps me is when I start to feel that twinge of pain or anger, uh, I immediately begin to pray for that person all, all over again. Uh, well, Lord, you brought this person up, uh, so I want to lift him or I want to lift her up to you. Um, bless them. Uh, draw them closer to you if they're not saved, which is possibility. Uh, Lord, I want them in heaven. Uh, the, the enemy will stop doing this if he comes to the conclusion that every time he attacks you through this uh, avenue that you're going to turn that into an opportunity to pray for somebody else's soul. So uh, I, I, don't be hard on yourself. Um, forgiving doesn't mean forgetting. And again, because we have an enemy who's going to bring those outside uh, influences in to remind us of past hurt. Um, just just kind of use that as a, a signal, oh, I better begin to pray for some people right now because I know that's the lie from the enemy. Uh, I wish the enemy would leave us alone, but he's never going to, Hannah, no matter what we do. Thanks, Hannah. I appreciate your listening and appreciate the question. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Henry. Uh, if I disagree with my pastor's view on an issue, is it okay to let others in the church know of my position? Henry, unless your pastor is heretical, if your pastor's a heretic, which is unlikely, you shouldn't be at that church in the first place. But if on doctrinal issues or non-essential issues, uh, if you disagree with your pastor's view on an issue, uh, you should never, ever try to influence others in the church. God has given the people in your church um, over to be shepherded by the pastor he's chosen. Now, if you can't agree with him on some issues and it's sort of rubbing you the wrong way, then find another church. But never, ever sow discord. Never, ever give the impression, well, you know, most of what he says is okay, but, but when he says this, I disagree, and here's why. Um, you know, that's that's uh, an attitude that is worrisome, Henry. Uh, that's an attitude that the enemy will use in church. So y- nobody needs to know how smart you are or how smart you think you are. Nobody needs to know your doctrinal position on issues. Uh, maybe, just maybe, God has you in this place to teach you how to disagree agreeably and how a real believer ought to behave in the body of Christ. 
Uh, I know we live in a culture that values opinion. Uh, we get polled. We can uh, vote with our phones. We can send out our thoughts via uh, social media and all kinds of different platforms. Um, but you know what? I think one of the things God's trying to teach a lot of us is that our opinion really isn't that important. If you disagree with your pastor, pray for him. Study a little bit more and always be open while you're studying to the possibility that you're the one that's wrong. So please don't be a stirrer of discord in God's body. Um, typically people who are trying to get others to come to their point of view uh, are trying to find followers. Well, the people that have been assigned by God to your church, again, I'm assuming it is a church that isn't heretical. Um, those are the people that God has brought to that pastor, and he'll stand before God on the day of judgment and to give account of his ministry. If you were to start telling people how much you disagree with them or even that you disagree with them on just a few things, um, Henry, that would be very ungodly behavior. So please don't do that. I, 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 I pray that hits your heart. Here is a question from Aaron. I like this question, but it is a broad question. He says, Pastor Ron, what is your church's position on ecclesiology? Now, ecclesiology is really the study of the church or doctrines about the church. Um, what is the church and what it what is it supposed to be? So, Aaron, uh, our position at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio on ecclesiology comes straight from Acts chapter 2. Uh, in the book of Acts, God created his church. Um, he gave birth to it on the day of Pentecost. He gave us a model to follow. And necessarily, if that was the entrance of the Holy Spirit into the church, then it's a model that, that he intended to be followed. So um, start with Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and go to the end of the chapter. That's what church is supposed to be. You know, Aaron, uh, I'll spend, we got to just under four minutes, I think, for this side of the, um, of the, of the program, this half of the program. So um, I used to pray long before we had even this place to meet in. Uh, I'd walk up. There was a place right here on this shopping center, by the way that I was hoping God would give to me. So I'd pray, oh, Lord, uh, make your house a house of prayer. We know that because Jesus, when he turned over the money changers' tables, um, said, he said that they've turned your house of prayer into a den of thieves. So we know that this is supposed to be a house of prayer. I also knew it needed to be a house of worship. I wanted the worship here to be sweet. I wanted it to be um, um, uh, sincere and genuine. So I'd pray, let it be a house of prayer and a house of worship. Let it be a house of fellowship where Christians actually like being there and they serve one another. Make it a house of service where we're looking for the lost, the hurting, and the hungry, the broken, the needy, and the confused. And all of that sort of was wound up in the my final link. Lord, make this a house of your word. So that's what ecclesiology is. What is the church supposed to be? And it's supposed to be those things. A house of prayer, a house of worship, a house of fellowship, a house of service, and a house of God's word. And if we do those things, Aaron, then the result will be pleasing to God because it will be what God has formed it. So we don't have our own platform. We don't have our own... Uh, sort of distinctives when it comes to um, our church has to do this or has to do this. We follow God's model. And I think part of the problem is that, that too many pastors don't. We we preach topical messages. We tell stories. We don't want to offend people. Um, we don't want to get too deep into things. We just want people to come. Well, what I've always wanted isn't a huge church. What I've wanted is a deep and rich church. And I think that's biblical ecclesiology. Now, our government, uh, we're a pastor-led church. I have a board of elders that, that are all part of our church. But uh, our governance um, uh, is focused on those key areas. 
of, of what we believe the ecclesiology of the New Testament church is supposed to be. So uh, I just don't think, Aaron, that we can do any better than the model that God provided for us. Uh, and I think uh, it would be my prayer, in fact, that um, every church would follow that model. I get frustrated at times when I see the way some churches run, and I know it's none of my business, but, but I, I certainly make it my business in prayer to the Lord. He knows I'm not complaining, but uh, I have a good friend who's been going to a church uh, for several years now, and uh, he just got his first Bible. How can that be? How can that be? Everything the church does ought to focus on the Word of God. And I, I would be mortified if somebody came to, to our church for one, one week or two weeks and didn't know that they needed a Bible. So that's the whole purpose of ecclesiology. Uh, let's just don't try to improve at all on, what, what, uh, on the model that Jesus provided for us. It's his church. We've got to follow his rules. So, Aaron, I hope that uh, helps answer your question a little bit. Um, remember, tonight here at Calvary Chapel, because it's Friday, we're going to be in Acts chapter 6. We're going to finish uh, the second half of the chapter. Um, the book of Acts. Aaron, that's our model. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We've got 30 minutes left in the week. We'll be back in two minutes. To the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half, the last half of the program for the whole week. 340-9585. Here is a question from Andrew. Uh, Pastor Ron, can you explain the difference between justification and sanctification? Uh, Andrew, I can. Justification is what happens uh, when we give our hearts to Jesus, when we ask Jesus to come into our heart, we make him the Lord of our life. Uh, the theological result is justification. Now, the way to remember that is justification means just as if I'd never sinned. So justification is a finished deal. Positionally, uh, when we get saved, we're perfect in heaven from heaven's perspective. Um um, we're going, our, our, our reservation in heaven is secure and we're going to be with Jesus forever and ever. That's what justification is. Sanctification is the earthly process of working out that justification um, here on earth. Uh, sanctification means to be set apart. It's, it's the word sanctify uh, is also sometimes translated holy. It's the idea that you're set apart for a holy use or a specific use by God. And sanctification then is the natural outworking of becoming more like Jesus every day. You know, the day we get saved, we don't, um, we, we, we don't know him at all. Um, he knows us. We, we know about him. We ask him into our heart. But every day from that point forward, we should be a little bit more like Jesus when we pray, when we study his word, and most importantly, when we spend time with him. Just spend time with him. We become a little bit more like him every day. You know, the, the, the reason God is so fussy about one way and one God and worship the Lord your God, uh, the emphasis, the repeated emphasis on that, isn't because God's insecure and needs worship, but it's because God knows that we become like whatever it is we worship. And in our case, it's a whoever it is that we worship, and so we worship Jesus. If, if we worship money, if that's the, the driving factor of our life, we become cold and hard-hearted because that's what money is. Uh, if we're selfish, we're our own God. But when Jesus Christ is the one that we worship, the process of sanctification makes us more like him every single day. And Andrew, that's the best thing. And it's a process that never stops um, until we are in that place where we're glorified, that we're in his presence that's when sanctification stops, because then we'll be like him. Uh, our flesh, our sin nature will be done away with. But in the meantime, every single day, 
uh, being more like Jesus is this process of sanctification. So, Andrew, I hope that helps. Uh, let's go to Tracy holding on line one from San Antonio. Tracy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. Hi, Tracy. Hey, I, I just wanted to offer this. Um, recently, um, I've had, uh, I recently heard the one of the best, most concise um, uh, wording for forgiveness that I've ever heard and stuff. And um, I just wanted to share it and stuff. I actually heard it from June Hunt's thing because uh, you had a, a question or something with the lady that was dealing with um, forgiveness, uh, a forgiveness issue and stuff. And it, this doesn't. I'm sorry, I'm having a problem uh, wording it. The uh, her issue wasn't how to forgive it. Was you know what she does with how she deals with it when you know Satan brings it back up, and so you, you address that. But I just mm-hmm. wanted to um, share this because I just I had never heard this issue, and, or how I've never heard it stated this way that I heard June say it, and it is. I just I just wanted to share it because it was. Okay. So complete uh, for the uh, what it means to forgive that June mm-hmm. did. Um, so I just wanted to share. It. So, uh, June said that like one of the ways that you know that the, to forgive would be to a that means that you would, that we release our right to receive an apology and mm-hmm. we release our right to receive recompense or you know, in kind of, uh, you know, get turn, get back or, you know, anything, recompense yep. or anything in return, you know, like, you know, get back at them kind of thing. I've never heard. I, I, yeah, that's great. I, I love that. Like that. Yeah, yeah, that's I, like. I, yeah, I actually love that. Uh, you know, uh, that reminds me of Jesus in, in Luke chapter 17 when he when he truly gives us in the first, I think it's eight or nine verses, but he, he gives us a parable about a servant. And um, um, my, my pastor used to say, you never know if you're really a servant at heart until you're treated like one and see how you respond. Well, this, this um, uh, quotation from June Hunt uh, is, is kind of the same thing, only with forgiveness. Uh, one of the things um, that, that I like to remember, Tracy, is that we're dead people walking around. You know, I, I tell our church all the time, if I fall down dead, you can come up and say anything about me. You can kick me. You can make fun of me. I, I won't mind at all. Why? Because I'm dead. Well, as Christians, we're supposed to be dead. And that means we have no right, as June said, to recompense. We have no right to expect an apology. Uh, when we understand that, that Jesus took care of our sin, thus we ought to then be generous in forgiving the sins of others. Uh, I think that's where forgiveness really becomes something that's attainable, something that we can do. Uh, we have to remember that we're in a fight, and as I said to the other questioner, um, that uh, there's an enemy who's always going to try to to make us forget that we've forgiven. Um, but but uh, it's just a, a battle that we're going to have with our flesh until uh, until the work is complete in us. But I, I thank you. That's a great quote from June Hunt. But, uh, to have Appreciate it spelled out so completely and and just resolved, I've never heard it so so. And that's the reason why I wanted to share it, like because before I always knew it was easy for me to like think, okay, all I had to do was not hold anything against them and then let God get back for me that that was how i knew i was i had forgiven them was like okay i didn't hold you know i wasn't mad at them i didn't hold any grudge against them and then let god get my vengeance for me that's how i knew i was had forgiven them but this spelled it out even clearer and so yep i i I agree i I agree thank you tracy very very much god bless you uh you, you know uh paul writes to the churches in thessalonica um, in First Thessalonians, um, uh, the, the churches in Thessalonica are being persecuted. And he said, God will pay back those who are doing you evil, those who are causing you harm. And you think, great. But then he says, this will happen when the Lord is revealed with his angels. Well, couldn't you do it a little quicker, Lord? That's the way we think. But Tracy's point, in quoting June Hunt, is that um, we realize that if, if we're really dead to our flesh, uh, while it's never pleasant to have somebody offend you, 
or to speak ill of you or to do harm to you. Um, if you really want to walk in the freedom of forgiving others, if you want to ensure that your prayers are unencumbered by holding on to unforgiveness, uh, imagine that, Jesus, uh, you didn't ask anything of me when you forgave me. You just asked me to believe. You didn't ask me to do anything. You didn't ask me to say anything. You just asked me to believe. Well, what right do I have as somebody whose flesh is supposed to be dead, what right do I have to expect somebody else to do something for me in order to forgive? And we want to be just like Jesus. So, Tracy, thank you very, very much. I don't listen to June Hunt only because she comes on too late. Uh, I'm always asleep by the time she comes on. Uh, here is Michael um, who is age eight. His question is, what did Jesus look like? Michael, nobody really knows. And that's why we don't have a picture of Jesus. Now, I can give you an idea, but I want to read this from Isaiah 53, verse 2. The prophet says that he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. There was no majesty, or he had no majesty or beauty to attract us to him. Nothing in appearance that uh, we should desire him. So, Michael, he was very ordinary looking. We wouldn't say Jesus was handsome. We wouldn't say, oh, look at that tall guy over there. He must be God. He was an ordinary guy. And, and there was nothing that identified him as being special other than the, the heart, obviously, that he possessed. So think about that. Now, if he was an ordinary Jew of his day, his the average height of a male Jew at that time was probably five foot six to five foot eight. He would have very Middle Eastern features. And he would have looked like everybody around him. So, Michael, I like that because what's really important is what he looked like inside. I know you're only eight, but ask your mom or your dad to read to you about the tabernacle in the wilderness. From the outside, it was just very ordinary, but the minute anybody walked into that tabernacle, it was magnificent. That tabernacle was a picture of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Michael. Thanks for reading your Bibles. Let's go to Daniel online, too. Daniel, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. Uh, thanks for taking my call. But I was just going to ask you, um, I, was th- I was listening to the, what Jesus was saying about when he was talking to Nicodemus, when he was telling them that as Moses lifted the bronze serpent in the wilderness, you know, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Uh, you know, I, I know the, the, the reason for the God had sent those... Uh, I guess a swarm of serpents mm-hmm. because of the what the people have been doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess my question is, you know, and I guess that was a it was a, a judgment or you know that God had called on the people, but He provided a way so that you know they could escape the the you know the 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 penalty or you know the effect of the venom of the of the, of the serpents. But my my question is not so much on that, but it's more of because I was thinking I, I was at a men's retreat a while back and something popped into my head that I remember when I was there there was a bunch of churches there I guess within that church culture and there was a bunch of men there and they were all from different churches but uh, that you know we were talking about you know about hell and stuff like that and. And the guy, he says, one of the guys says to me, he says, you know, our pastor says that we shouldn't really tell people about hell because instead we should be loving to them. And I thought to myself, well, you know, if you get, you know, when you tell somebody that you're saved, are you saved? Or what if we tell them, if we don't tell them what they need to be saved from, well, then, you know what I mean? Does that defeat the purpose or I I couldn't agree with yeah I understand Daniel and I couldn't agree with you more Uh, you know Jesus talked a lot about hell and he talked a lot about hell because he loved people and didn't want them to be there 
And um, I, I, if, if I were able to talk to that pastor, I would say, well, do you believe that Jesus was loving? He'd say, well, of course Jesus is loving. Well, he talked about hell a lot. Uh, there's nothing more unloving than letting somebody go to hell without putting up a fight, without giving them a way out, a way of escape. And I, it just it frustrates me. Um, I repent um, on behalf of the church that, that, that sometimes brings embarrassment to us all uh, because so many people are trying to revise Jesus's message. And, and in the name of love, again, it's not loving if we don't tell people the truth. If you reject Jesus Christ, this is what's going to happen. Uh, it, there, there's no definition of love that would include not helping people escape from that kind of harm. So um, we have to tell them not only what they need to be saved from, but we need to tell them how to do it. And Jesus is eager to forgive their sins uh, so they don't have to go to hell. I say often on this program, uh, Daniel, that uh, we literally have to go over Jesus' dead body to make it to hell. That's how easy he made it for us uh, to escape the punishment of eternal torment. So I, I agree completely with you. You know, I love the picture of the... the uh, go ahead. Do you see that? I was looking, I was thinking the other day, I was like, that's kind of like I see today. I, isn't that like a distortion of the gospel? Because the gospel is, that's part of the message as to why Jesus came in the first place. Yeah. You know, it, it's destroy not, the yeah, world. It's not only... Devil. Yeah, Daniel, it's not only a distortion um, but it's it's deeply deeply offensive uh, to to the Lord. Um, when we start editing our our message, we have to remember that it is Jesus's message. It's His gospel. It's not ours. Thus, we have no right to edit it. We have no right to soften it. Uh, we are servants under orders, and what we're supposed to do is declare the message of of eternal life. And if you uh, reject eternal life in the person of Jesus Christ, then you will live eternally in torment. Uh, we call that spiritual death, but you're right. It's it's uh, a miserable, miserable misrepresentation of of the gospel. So um, I'm ashamed that we have to even address this, but it really is something that's that we find gaining more and more, more and more steam. So being loving isn't being just nice or telling good stories or making people get goosebumps. Being nice is telling them the truth in love. What they do with that is between them and God. Thank you, Daniel. I appreciate the question very, very much. Um, you know, when uh, Daniel started his question with the, uh, the serpent, um, uh, in the Exodus wilderness, the grumbling, idol-worshipping, uh, idol, idol Israelites were being judged by God. That's why he let loose the vipers and they were dying. And it was gracious and merciful of God to give them a way out. So he said, um, um, lift up this serpent on a pole. And all they had to do was look at it. Now, people needlessly died because they didn't look at the serpent that was exalted, that was lifted up on that pole. Those who did look were healed, and they lived. Well, that's the same thing about telling people about hell, internal judgment. People that look to God are going to be healed. They're going to live. But people that don't are not. Jesus said, um, in the same way, when the Son of Man is lifted up, and he meant on the cross. And people get confused by the serpent imagery, but remember... Jesus was cursed. He became a curse for us on that cross as God judged him for his sin. So that's how direct Jesus' message was. The Son of Man will be lifted up. That doesn't mean lifted up in worship. It doesn't mean uh, lifted up with our voices in praise. It means he'll be lifted on that cross. When he was lifted up on that cross, all who come to him, the crucified yet risen Lord, that's how we escape the curse of eternal death. Good question, Daniel. Thank you very, very much. 340-9585. Here is a question from Dennis. He says, I'm a new Christian and just getting started with the Bible. Do you have any tips? I do, Dennis. And I just had this conversation with a dear friend of mine. Um, if you're just getting started with the Bible, it's going to require um, perseverance. 
and discipline and commitment. Uh, there's a lot you're not going to understand, but just sort of read through it anyway. Force yourself to do it. Um, read uh, a New Testament book and an Old Testament book uh, every day. Um, read two or three chapters, four or five chapters, whatever time you have. Um, keep a legal pad. At least I always keep a legal pad next to, to, to me to write questions down because there's going to be a lot that you don't understand. So write the questions down and as you read more and more, uh, you're going to have a, uh, you're going to get some answers to some of those questions that you've written down. God is in the process of unwrapping this love letter that he wrote just to you, Dennis. And he wants you to immerse yourself in it. Sort of take an overview, just purpose in your heart to read through it this year. Um, and it does take discipline. A lot of it will be thrilling, but some of it, quite frankly, is tedious. But read consistently uh, and systematically. By that I mean start at the beginning of a book and when you stop reading in that book, pick up there where you left off the next day when you read. So you're reading through a book and then change books as you finish uh, some of the books with with fewer chapters. Uh, Also, look at the Bible not as one book. It's not one book. It's 66 books written by 40 different authors over a period of about 1,500 years. And God's going to start showing you the amazing consistency, the majesty of this supernatural book. The Bible says of itself, it's living and active. It'll meet you where you are. So just dig in and read. Worry less about what you don't understand and focus rather on what you do understand. And Dennis, that's the best way to begin Uh, your experience with the Bible. Let me say this to you as well. Uh, You're on the journey of a lifetime. This is an adventure that never ends, a book that's never exhausted. Uh, One of my sons asked one time, Dad, are you reading the same book? And I said, yeah, I read it all the time. Well, aren't you done yet? The Bible's a book you never get finished with because it's supernatural in origin. It grows with you. As you learn more about Jesus, it reveals, the Word reveals even more. And you never empty it. You never get it completely. Now, I've got a good grip on my Bible. I love it. I know the story. I know um, uh, the, the context of the books. But, but still, because it's supernatural, it meets me where I am every single day. And that's what we want to do. We want to be diligent in our study of God's Word. Dennis, good luck. Stay in touch from time to time. Let me know how you're doing. This is a thrilling, thrilling thing. Uh, we're inside five minutes. Let me just say this before i got time for uh, one more question. Um, but let me say this. Um, when I got saved, there was somebody, a friend, who brought me a brand new Bible, King James Version, um, leather, genuine leather. It smelled so good. I put it on my desk at work. But I couldn't open it for six months. And I knew that was wrong. And I just had to fight through it. I mean, it was a real spiritual warfare. And when I opened that Bible finally and just forced myself to read it, It was like I was bathing in the coolest springs ever. It was like this refreshing that would would come over me. And I began to understand it. I began to to be able to figure out, if it says this, I'd have to change my life and do this. And um, it's just the best thing any of us can do. And it is a tragedy that so few of us as Christians are really devoted to our Bibles. Imagine Jesus took the time to write a love letter just to you. Now, it's not just to you. We know he's writing it to different groups of people with, with different contexts. But it's his heart for you, his word to you as well. And the application for us is so wonderful. So uh, all of us, read our Bibles, read our Bibles. Let's go to line one. Lupe on line one. Lupe, thanks for calling late. You're on the air. Uh, yes. 
I just wanted to tell you um, that the Bible uh, helped my husband empty himself out of the uh, pain that he had been sharing with him uh, since he was a child. His mom had already passed away. He was in his uh, late 40s. She had never told anyone, but we would read the Bible every night after we accepted the Lord. And uh, one evening we started reading it, and she started crying and crying and crying. I didn't know what was going on. And he started emptying out. The Holy Spirit just cleansed him of all the pain that she had been carrying. You know, oh. the Bible's word is so powerful. And it really is, Lupe. Everything. He said things he had never told anyone. Yeah. How he was harmed as a child. Yeah. And, yeah. and just to give you that testimony because yeah. I, I heard you talking about the Bible and it. It's just, yeah, thank uh, you. been a miracle in my husband's life. <laughs> Thank you, Lupi. And you know, uh, I, I spend my whole life trying to convince people that the Bible will do that and much, much more. Um, not only will it strip the old junk, you know, Second Corinthians 5.17 says, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. But, but so many of us, we hold on to old stuff. You know, we'll run to a therapist, we'll run to a counselor, um, but, but the wonderful counselor, Jesus, who's revealed to us in our Bibles, he'll strip those things from us. We no longer need to bear those burdens. And too many of us choose to bear those burdens simply because we aren't washing ourselves with the water of the Word of God. So, Lupe, what a great, great comment to close the week. Uh, this is the Bible. Our teaching programs uh, always end up this way. Beautiful May Cruzado, she says, if you fall in love with the Bible, you'll fall in love with Jesus. We promise. And that's what happens. He cleanses you out, and he fills you up afresh again. So, Loopy, thanks. Hey, it's been a great week. I appreciate the calls and the questions. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Have a great weekend going to church. Lord willing, I'll be back Monday at 4 o'clock on AM 630, The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.